The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Remember that one time you got so mad that you asked your dad to murder every man, woman, and child of an entire city, then behead all of them, then pile all of those decapitated noggins into giant skull pyramids around the outside of the city, your dad's army just burned to the ground, and then remember when your dad did that? I can't possibly know all the details of your life, but I do know that you haven't had that life experience because it's only happened once in recorded history, April 1221 in the ancient Persian city of Nishapur. Being the daughter of Genghis Khan had tremendous benefits if you were a vengeful, bloodthirsty sadist like Tagachar apparently was. Work can wait. It's time for a very bloody Mongol horde at their most destructive edition of Time Set. You're listening to Time Set. All right, first, I, I want to take a second and, and just to talk about, like, why uh, we're talking about this just horribly bloody, just gory topic. And it's it's because I was uh, trying to do a bit, not trying to do, actually ended up doing a bit on my on my new album, uh, Don't Wake the Bear. Go get it if you haven't got it. Uh, people seem to like it. But there's this bit on there. It's track number five. It's called Whiskey Laudanum Saw. And, and the premise is... Uh, I get irritated when people complain about the supposed good old days being better than today because that's just almost universally false. It's like certain things may have been better at certain times in history, but overall, like the farther you go back, just the worse it was to be a human. You know, there was consistently like less education. You know, I mean, there was blips, you know, it was kind of like a roller coaster education, like, you know, the dark ages in Europe would be, you know, worse than education was during the, you know, the height of, of some of the antiquity kind of empires of, like, you know, Persia and Greeks and stuff, but nowhere near today. I mean, it's as smart as, like, the Greeks were. You know, they didn't have 
They didn't have the web. They didn't have the, the level of science that we have. I mean, they just didn't have it. And there was, and there was less medicine. You know, they didn't have uh, antibiotics and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it just was worse. You know, basic, you know, human rights, you know, slavery was incredibly widespread for people of a variety of, you know, races and creeds. And it just, you know, murder was commonplace and brutal murder. And just to kind of make this point, this uh, Battle of Nishapur did not stay in the bit, but I just did some Googling. This was like, you know, I don't know, two years ago. I did some Googling about history's worst atrocities. Like, what are the worst things that have happened to people in history? Things like the Holocaust and just, you know, widespread uh, horror, you know, like under the Khmer Rouge and Cambodia, the killings, uh, the killings under Stalin. And I came across this one uh, historical moment that I'd never heard about. And it was kind of hard to find, uh, it took some digging to really find out more about it. But it was the Battle of Nishapur, the, the sacking of the city of Nishapur, which was a city I hadn't heard of, by the, by the Mongols, who, who they, you know, they sacked a lot of cities and did a lot of killing. Like so much that they reduced the carbon output considerably during the time they lived there. Like they killed so many people, they reduced pollution in a weird way. And, uh, but this one battle uh, stood out because of the sheer volume of death in a very short amount of time, and then also just uh, the way the people were killed, and then what was done to their bodies after they were killed, and the reason it all happened. It's just, it's so fucked up that I, I, it doesn't feel real, even though this is, you know, documented by numerous historians, by, you know, people of the day documented this and other battles, but it's fucking unreal. So strap in uh, for, for today's episode. And, and before I get into this battle of Nishapur, I, I want to just give a quick backstory on the military savagery of Genghis Khan and his height. And so a little, little bit of facts about him. Genghis, you know, he, he consolidated the Mongol Empire and came to power in 1206. Uh, the dude died in 1227, by which time the Mongol Empire ruled from the Pacific Ocean to the Caspian Sea, an empire twice the size of the Roman Empire and Muslim Caliphate. Like historians, not totally sure how he died, but it looks like, you know, injury sustained from falling off a horse uh, the year before, which uh, actually horses is, is, is like a weird theme with Time Suck. Uh, <laughs> the last uh, episode about the big one uh, came, uh, turns out that that rumor got started about the earthquake from a dude who fell off a horse's dream. So, you know, uh, careful around horses. But uh, we think that, but, but we do know that, um, we don't know for sure if that's how he died, but we think it could have been that or, you know, could have been, you know, injuries sustained in some battle or poison or something. But what we do know is in 1221, he was like full-on expand the empire mode. I mean, they really just were so focused on just conquering fucking everything. Like, they just wanted all of it. And, and it was an expansion area that would continue well past his death in an empire that at its height, this is so impressive, uh, between 1270 and 1309 would encompass over 16% of all the land on Earth second only in history to the height of the British Empire, uh, which in 1920, actually, I thought it would be earlier that they controlled more, but 1920, they controlled over 23% of the earth, over a quarter of the population. But, you know, a lot of that British land was like, you know, Canada, which, you know, most of that land, uh, Canada is uninhabitable, uh, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Australia, Australia, most of it is very rural. Land masses, you know, mostly unpopulated, and also uh, inaccessible and unknown to the Khan, like... You know, like they literally didn't know about the Americas. So 
if they would have known him about him, you know, they probably would have fucking taken some <laughs> boats over there and just fuck shit up because that's just kind of what they did. So really, like, in, in, in terms of dominating the known populations of your day, like, no one ever dominated the Earth like the 13th century Khans. And Genghis Khan himself, just while he was in power, conquered more than twice as much land as any other conqueror in history. And so I'm just, this is kind of setting uh, the backstory for this battle of Nishapur. And, and here's how he did it. Here, like, I, cause I was fascinated, like, you know, how did they conquer so much? And a lot of it was they were masters of horseback archery in an era when most armies were stationary. So, you know, you're some, you know, you're some dude, you're some 13th century archer, and you're, and you're in your little row of other archers, and you got your, got your chain mail, and you got some guy going, you know, fire! And, you know, you're, you're shooting off these straight arrows, usually towards an advancing army who is just marching uh, forward, which how much would that fucking suck? <laughs> like, I've thought about that just in armies in general back then. Like, part of, like, strategy for these kings was like, yeah, fuck it, we got a lot of dudes. We don't need to feed all of them. So let's just, uh, let's march them forward. And it's, you know what? A lot of them are definitely going to die, but they don't have unlimited arrows. So we'll just keep marching and marching and marching until eventually, you know, through attrition, we'll, we'll make it to their ranks and we'll chop them down. <laughs> Which is all fine and dandy if you're the king and you're thinking of it in like this board game stratego kind of way of like, you know, or chess, which, yeah, fucking get rid of the pawn, who cares? But if you're the pawn, like how did more of these guys not revolt? I guess they didn't revolt because they knew they would just be killed. But wow, that just sucks. That sucks. Like that's, that's, a, that's a life. If you're this guy and you're like, uh, seriously, we're just gonna, we're just gonna walk. You know that they're shooting arrows like, like 40 yards ahead. Like, you, you'd have to know that you'd have, I, I mean, like a 99% chance that you were just going to die and going to die horribly. I mean, I think about that, too. Like, I would, I would never want to die in war of any kind, but I would much rather be, like, I would think be shot by a heavy artillery gun or blown up than die from arrows. Because I, like, I feel like an arrow is not a quick death. I mean, if one gets you in the eye, sure. But otherwise, <laughs> like, you just get an arrow... And like your, I don't know, shoulder or whatever. And then you're laying there in the middle of the killing fields being like just waiting for the next barrage of arrows. And then maybe one gets in your leg and you're like, fucking, could you just aim a little bit closer to my face? Just get it over with. So anyway, side note, that just, that sucks. Uh, if you ever get a time machine, don't be a foot soldier in, uh, in medieval times uh, for any king. Shitty job. Shitty job. Like, if you think, like, ah, oh, man, my job sucks, dude. My boss is a dick. And, you know, fucking health insurance is not what I want it to be. And, you know, it's like, how come you, you got to wait? You got to get, you know, there. You got to work there for a year to get your vacation. It's fucking bullshit. And maybe it is bullshit. But, you know, uh, less bullshitty than your job being to march to certain death. Uh, arguably a much, much worse job. So... The Mongols, uh, they were like, no, we're not just going to march forward into certain areas. We're just, they got these fast, they used smaller horses, and they would just kind of flank around, and, and they would just do different maneuvers than these guys were used to, shooting these arrows, and they just, you know, it, it slowed down how many, how many guys you could shoot with your arrows. And then these guys were really good shots on the go, so then they would get, like, behind you or the side of you and just fucking light you up with these arrows. Which had to have been terrifying for these guys to see, even more, to, you know, for the guys doing the shooting. Because that, that job 
would be better than advancing. Like if you're going to pick one of the, you know, war jobs, I would rather be the dude in a line of archers shooting the guys marching than to be one of the guys marching, like hands down. If they're like, hey, man, uh, we got sign up sheets. You can be uh, the <laughs> you can be swordsman marcher or you can be a hangback archer. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the bow. I'm going to focus on my, my arrows. But then, you know, you think you got the cush job and then you see these assholes swerving around on their ponies and, you know, and shooting like next generation. You know, you're, you're playing Xbox, you know, or, or Super Nintendo. You're playing Super Nintendo and they got some PS4 shit and you're like, well, that's not fair. So that's how they did it. That, that was a lot, lot of how they did it. And, and they just, um, you know, they, they were better at just, you know, basic strategies and stuff as well. They had like, you know, good, uh, good uh, generals and such. And, and, then they kind of, and then there was just momentum too. Because when they would take over an area, then they would like make those guys fight for them. And so part of it was just numbers after a while too. Like they just generally had the bigger army. And, uh, you know, and back then strength in numbers for sure like now it's like you know you can overcome numbers with uh weaponry but when everybody has basically the same weaponry numbers uh generally going to win numbers plus strategy there so so okay i bring all this up i bring all this up just to demonstrate that facing genghis in 1221 was like stepping into the ring with mike tyson uh in the mid 80s like going in you just know, you have to know, like, fuck, Vegas odds are really against me. You know, I don't know what the odds were back, who the odds makers were then, maybe Sodom or something. I don't know if that was around there. But whoever, if there was odds makers, you're, you're getting like one in 50, one in 75, one in 100, one in 1,000 chance of a victory. I mean, to engage was just suicide. Everyone was fucking annihilated over and over. Like everyone, and everyone had a plan. A lot of people fought back uh, until, you know, and they had a plan, just kind of like with Tyson, until Genghis hit him in the mouth, and then their plan fell apart. And, and just before Nishapur, uh, Genghis killed uh, between 700,000 and 1.3 million people in the sack of Merv, another Persian Silk Road trading city, kind of down the road, because Nishapur was in modern-day Iran uh, along the Silk Road of Marco Polo fame. Uh, and it was like, you know, yeah, there was, a, there was a fair amount of cities in that area along this well-traveled uh, road of, you know, people bringing goods back and forth between Asia and Europe. And, and they, they, they heard him coming. Like, you know, uh, yeah, Merv was, was sacked after Merv refused his messenger's request to hand over their most beautiful woman and, uh, women and bow down to his rule. And yeah, and that, which is uh, typical. I mean, basically, like, that was kind of the deal he would make you. His basic policy, he would send emissaries to your city, tell you to surrender, uh, give him, you know, you got you to give him, give him some of your beautiful women in his clan, fight for him in future battles, hand over your most skilled tradesmen and artists to work for his empire, give him a large chunk of your royal wealth as tribute, and let him kill a few people, a few of your people, maybe even some royals, possibly, to kind of test your obedience, make sure you didn't fight back. And if you didn't like that policy... If you didn't like basically giving him all of your best stuff, letting him be your ruler, you're no longer the ruler if you're in power at the time, and let him, you know, kind of selectively just kill some people as like a test. If you're like, that's, that's, I don't like that at all. Uh, that, that's plan A. Plan B was he would kill everyone just to, just to kind of, other than maybe a few of the best craftsmen, a few of the best artisans, but everybody else fucking die. Surrender or die. That was kind of their unofficial motto. And, uh, and they were so feared <laughs> that there's these, 
historical tales of lone Mongol soldiers riding into villages, just kind of executing peasants at random as a test of loyalty, and, you know, basically daring the, the rulers of these villages to fight back. And, and a lot of times they wouldn't because they knew if they killed that Mongol soldier, if that guy didn't come back with a report to his camp, then the whole camp would come to their village and just fuck shit up, like really aggressively attack. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and that was part of their strategy actually was to spread fear throughout the land, fear that I'm sure reached uh, Nishapur. You know, like, and, and revenge was a common motivation. Uh, describing the revenge extracted by Genghis Khan for the killing of several Mongol trainers, this ancient scholar Juni wrote, in retribution for every hair on their heads, it seemed that 100,000 heads rolled in the dust. I mean, these dudes were scary. Uh, an Arab chronicler, uh, chronicler uh, Ibn Alathir, wrote, in the countries that have not yet been overrun by them, you know, meaning the hordes, everyone spends the night afraid that they might appear there too. And, uh, and as scary as they were, though, they weren't um, generally torturers, uh, which I don't know if it was unusual per se, but there was a fair amount of, you know, these empires back then that would, like, like Vlad the Impaler type stuff, would really torture you. Like Vlad the Impaler would, you know, put thousands of people on poles, like impaled, like up through them, watch them bleed out as he like would like, <laughs> he was known to like snack, just, you know, eat a fucking sandwich helped his digestion, I guess, to watch people uh, suffer extremely. Which, you know, to me, that's that's almost like scarier in a way. But but like, but he just, <laughs> you just knew you were going to die. I think the really scary thing about the hordes was how how much they dominated. Like like Vlad and some of the other guys really were terrifying too. But I feel like maybe you thought like you have a chance to kind of defeat them. More realistic chance, more realistic odds. Uh, but they did do some scary stuff. Like this one historian, J.J. Saunders of the Mongols, said, uh, <laughs> this is a quote of his, there is something indescribably revolting in the cold, cold savagery with which the Mongols carried out their massacres. The inhabitants of a doomed town were obliged to assemble in a plain outside the walls, and each Mongol trooper armed with a battle axe was told to kill so many people, 10, 20, or 50, and then as proof that the orders had been properly obeyed, the killers were sometimes requ required to cut off an ear from each victim, collect the ears in sacks, and bring them to their officers to be counted. A few days after the massacre, troops were sent back into the ruined city to search for any poor wretches who might be hiding in holes or cellars. They were dragged out and slain as well. <laughs> they had sacks of ears. That is like the most... I, I've watched a lot of shows like Dexter and things where you got these serial killers. No, no one's gone that far. You know, there was a Jack the Ripper. There wasn't, you know, Johnny Earsack. Johnny Earsack would be the most terrifying if, you know, it sounds like an urban legend. It sounds like something you would, people would scare kids back in, you know, ancient times. Like, yeah, well, hey, you eat your food. You eat your food, Billy, or old Johnny Earsack. He's going to come over and take your ear as tribute and cut your fucking head off, okay? So eat your porridge unless you want your ear to go in the sack. I mean, that, but that was like some dude's reality. There was a lot of dudes. There was these soldiers. And what's weird about it is, like, they killed so many towns that you know, like, they just got so jaded towards it. It's just like human nature. Like, at first, it's got to be a little weird to be, oh, God, I can't. It's so horrific to, like, like a real person to, to kill them, to kill them, and then, you know, cut their ear off. And then, you know, and then you've cut so many ears that your knife is a little dull and you got, you got to sharpen your ear knife. And then you throw them into a sack. That is the grossest thing. 
And then you just you bring this sack of ear, and then you, what? Like I guess you dump it on a table, you know? And it's like here, here they go. Here's your ears. And you know, you know, like there was probably some sort like Mongols that were lazy. There, there had to be an occasional lazy Mongol. It's like oh, fucking fifty. I gotta kill fifty dudes. My arm's tired from killing the last village. I'm gonna kill twenty five dudes, and I'm gonna take both ears and just put both of those in the sack and hope they don't notice that there's a lot of lefts and a lot of rights. <laughs> like there was other people. There were probably like conversations, like two soldiers walking back to some, you know, to the counting station, each with a sack of ears, and just be like, "So what? So how's your wife? You know, how's how's the kids? Ah, oh, it's good. Oh, hey, oh shit, ah, shit. I, god dang it, I gotta hold on. Wait up, wait up. I just uh, I dropped a. There's a hole in my sack. I just noticed I dropped a couple of ears, so I'm gonna go back and pick those up. You know, so I hit my quota. Ah, <laughs> unbelievable. That's a. This is this has happened. This has happened. Okay, but again, you know, but he wasn't torturer, so I guess somehow that's the bright side. So that's Genghis. So I'm just, I'm just, I, I, I know it's gory, but I'm painting a picture of this is this is Genghis, and and he um, is is down the road from Nishapur in 1221. And before we get into like why why he went so crazy on them, because the the whole head pyramid thing that I referenced earlier, that was not the norm. That was not the norm, and not the norm for him to kill basically everybody in a city of that size. Like, I think even in, in Merv, I think he did spare some, a few people. I don't know, maybe not. But the head, the head pyramid <laughs> just makes it crazier. So here, here's Nishapur. I hadn't heard of it. It's an ancient city, uh, northeastern Iran, a few hundred thousand today. Uh, origins go back to at least third century AD, if not all the way back to pre-recorded history. There's just, you know, it's for the archaeologists to debate over how long there was a human settlement there. It meant the uh, fair, good city of Shapur was part of the Sasanian Empire, the last Persian Empire to precede the rise of Islam, one of the major empires of the world over 400 years, for over 400 years. During the time of the Romans, it was, uh, religion initially was Zoroastrianism, ancient pre-Islamic religion of Iran that survives kind of there in isolated areas and, and more prosperously in India today, um, where the descendants of the uh, Zoroastrian Iranian kind of immigrants are known as Parsis. Uh, so it's, an, it's, it's actually an ancient religion that goes back 2,000 years B.C., and influenced uh, Judaism, Gnosticism, Christianity, Islam, with uh, its kind of notions of messianism, heaven and hell, free will. A uh, variety of rulers and shorter-lived dynasties took over the air around Nishapur. So there was, like, turnover and kind of rulers. But it saw, like, uh, very little major bloodshed. There was a couple, you know, big battles, but but nothing like that was going to come up in 1221. And they had some earthquake problems, you know, kind of referenced in the last episode, too. They kind of had their own big one. Uh a few generations before 1221 that was kind of like the quake in 1906 of San Francisco. Like, it did a lot of structural damage. I mean, a lot of people did die in that, but they quickly rebuilt it. Like, they were always able to recover quickly uh, until the Mongols got there. And it was it was um, a good place to live by everything I read, everything I found, where there was a, it was a fertile plain, well irrigated. They had, you know, really good irrigation for their day. Farming flourished. Their, their silk weaves were known throughout the modern world. They had a walled city center surrounded by walled suburbs. It was fucking dope, you know? It was like an ancient San Francisco. They were very cosmopolitan, very tolerant. Uh, after the, you know, the, the Muslims took over, they uh, very tolerant of other religions. There was an ancient form of Christianity that was still like an Eastern form that was allowed there. Uh, Judaism was allowed there. And for the, for the most part, like, yeah, they had the taxes and different things and different rulers, but it, it was a very prosperous, well-educated, full of a lot of artists, a lot of poets. Like, it sounded like a, a very cool place to live, and the, it goes back and forth. Nobody, nobody really understands exactly how many people were there. Accounts vary from 100 
and 70,000 to 1.7 million. So regardless of a big, a big cosmopolitan city, and they're, and they're doing great. In 1220, life is good. And then Genghis Khan shows up. And here's why he got so mad at this battle. What happened was, you know, like as I, as I described early, they would send emissaries early on to kind of ask you to bow down. And the, the little emissaries initially who came uh, didn't want to. They, they loved their city. They thought foolishly, like many cities before them, that they would be fine. And, uh, and Genghis Khan, by the way, <laughs> I didn't, uh, I remember reading this, I didn't mention this earlier, but he, he never lost. Like his record was, he was undefeated. There was one group that gave him problems in, in Russia. This, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name. But there was like like one. But then he like you know he went back like the Bulgars I think I want to say I think it was the Bulgars. But then he went back and uh, squashed them later. So it's like you know he had one maybe fight that was like a draw, and then he went back a couple years later and you know whooped their ass. Or, but he. So it was crazy that and, and everybody would hear about these. You know, word would get out, but still, you know, I get it from the rulers' part. Like they don't want to give up control but you know <laughs> you know the peasants were like uh i, I can we please maybe ne- negotiate with them please don't uh, hurt the emissaries please like like they knew so he sends these this emissary and one of them is uh his favorite son-in-law um <laughs> goes there uh tagashar's uh his daughter's you know husband and and that dude gets killed in a little skirmish during the initial part of like, hey man, just give us all your stuff. And that's, that's what set it off. So she got really upset and she begged her dad to just kill everyone. She wanted the whole city decimated and, you know, and she wanted <laughs> their heads piled into pyramids. That was her request. And I'm going to read you, this is from a book that I, I lost the reference, unfortunately. I, I actually erased it, but this is a, a book on uh, historical accounts that I was able to find on Genghis Khan that, that goes into more de- detail of what's happening here. So famous is the city of the great poet. This is Nishapur and Palamath Omar uh, Kayam, renowned for his religious scholars and a center of Sufism. Nishapur was a wealthy city with fields of rice and cereals, its carpet making and distinctive ceramics, its cotton factories, glass blowing, manufacture of metal and stone vessels, musical instruments, turquoise mines in the suburbs, Sumptuous houses, exquisite gardens, general opulence. Like, it was fucking sweet, like a paradise of the, of the times. Possibly the most beautiful city in all Iran, certainly in Muhammad's empire, Nishapur was a watery delight, 12 canals, 70 water mills, bringing the precious liquid to a population of some 170,000. Again, that's debatable. This is one book. It, it fluctuates wildly as far as at least that many people or, 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 or quite uh, bigger. Um... You know, it was, was harmed in 1208 by a calamitous earthquake, but poor Nishapur can have had little conception of the hell that was now to descend on it. Once the citizens saw the size of Tolu's army, and, and, oh, I'm sorry, and Tolu was uh, the son, son-in-law. Uh, they sent envoys, both uh, imams and oligarchs, to ask for terms, but Tolu was constrained by Genghis's rage over Taquar and his code of vengeance, so could offer him nothing. Okay, a little confused about that, but in the case of the Nishapurians, had done themselves no favor since before Toulouse's arrival, they had been attacking Mongol outriders and scouting parties. So yeah, so they were getting into these skirmish skirmishes, and the ferocity of the Mongol onslaught was such that, though better defended than Merv, it lasted just three days. And, and the three days, 
is also uh, debated. Sometimes uh, some scholars see as, as, as quickly as one day. Um, but what they're saying here is the Battle of Nishapur, April 12, 20, began with a furious cannonade. And from both sides, Nishapur's defenses included 3,000 javelin-throwing ballistae and 500 catapults. So they didn't have, you know, they had their shit together. They were, for their day, an organized army. This a walled city. But the Mongols brought the same number of catapults and ballistae, and, and, and they had 700 naphtha-hurling trebuchets, 4,000, 4,000 scaling ladders, 4,000 of those ladders to, like, run up against the wall. 250,000 large stones for the trebuchet to, like, you know, the catapult and stuff to get thrown against the wall. 2,500 sacks of earth for filling up moats. That's fucking incredible, man, how efficient they were. Uh, think about it. I mean, they had dirt, sacks of dirt to fill up the moats. I mean, these guys, terrifying. Just the efficiency of this army. And all-out assault uh, ordered by Tului on, on all four quarters of this city. So I'm sorry, Tului is, uh, Tului is not the, the son, son-in-law. I, I don't, his fucking name doesn't matter. This isn't about him. Not really. It's just about what happened. So some dude, uh, the, the assault lasts an entire day and night. 66 breaches in the walls, just over 24 hours. A brigade of 10,000 Mongols was inside the city. The inevitable result was a ferocious street fighting where every house was contested, every block involved in bloody hand-to-hand combat. Think about that. Think about that like, oh my God, I'm going to get back to that in just a second. The battle inside the city began on a Wednesday. It was finally completed by Friday night. Since more and more Mongols continued to pour through the breach, there could be only one ending. By Saturday morning, Mongol death squads were roaming the streets, including a special corps of killers led in person by, okay, it was Taquar. Takwachar. Takwachar. There we go. That was the son-in-law. Led in person by the widow. Oh, my God. So she came in with this death squad at the end, screaming for vengeance. Uh, The resulting massacre lasted a full four days. As it merved, survivors tried to hide among the bodies in the rubble, but most were winkled out, executed. Um, Oh, my God. Others died of starvation and thirst in their caverns as they hid in subterranean hideouts. And then the Mongols piled up three pyramids of skulls from men, women, and children, respectively. Oh, my God. They, have, they had one pyramid for the dudes, one for the women, one for the kids' heads. A whole pyramid of kids' heads. That's not something I'm making up. This isn't a Stephen King novel. Obedient to Genghis's orders that no living thing was to be spared. The killers even wiped out dogs, cats, and rats. Oh, man. It even sucked to be a rat in Ishapur that day. And then out of the population of 170,000, and I'm again, I'm going to go plus, uh, 400 hand-picked artisans survived, which was typical Mongol fashion. They're like, okay, you got a really good skill we can make some money off of. You didn't have anything to do with this. All right. We're going to like, because you're really good at this thing. We don't need more peasants, but you can live. Holy shit. I mean, think about that. I mean, like, imagine this now. Now this is like, it's, it's like you live in, San Francisco, let's say like we're going to go West Coast. You live in San Francisco and this very cosmopolitan city where, you know, it's not about fighting. It's about art and culture. And then you hear about some, uh, some dipshits in Canada. You know, those fucking ferocious Canadians. The Canadian horde. The, <laughs> the bunch of Canadians on horseback uh, start, they, they burn Seattle to the ground. And then they just obliterate Portland. And then they get Sacramento, excuse me, and they get all these cities. And then, and now they've, now they've sent some people after all that, like you've heard about all this and now, and now they've come to your town and then they're, they're like, Hey man, surrender, or you know what we're going to do. 
and then you got some dipshit mayor who's like, oh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, buddy, uh-uh, uh-uh. We're San Francisco. We, we don't fucking, we do what we want, okay? We're, we're smart, uh, city, we like our life here, and why don't you go fuck yourself? And you know what? That guy, the important guy, uh, the, the leaders, the leader of this horrific army, we're going to kill his son-in-law, okay? So get out of here. Go on, scat. And then you're just some citizen of this place, and you're like, oh, God. Like, that can't be good. Like, you know, like if we're going to go Trump, you know, it'd be, like, it'd be like if Trump, you know, just pissed off, like dropped some bombs just for fun on, like, China and uh, Japan and North Korea and Russia and Britain and just, just with, like, fucking with everybody. And then all those people are now coming towards us. And you're just a citizen going, like, God damn it, dude, dude. Why did you do that? They're going to kill all of us now. And then all of a sudden, you just see this horde coming. And at this point, you know that there's no surrendering. Like, there's no, there's no like, uh, sorry, can I be on your side? You know, like, like and, and if you don't have a skill, if you're like, I'm good with a shovel, nope, uh-uh, you're fucked. And then they just, then they're assaulting the city just systematically, just ladder after ladder after ladder and dirt and the moats and and rock after rock after rock hitting your wall, and then all of a sudden these Mongols pour into the city, you know? I mean, I guess, you know, you wouldn't have the, the walls and stuff like that, but like San Francisco, like into the suburbs, you know, through Oakland, you know, they're just, they fucking annihilate Oakland, and now they're coming across the bridges, and you just, you have to get out of your, you know, you have to leave Starbucks and hop out of Pete's Coffee or, you know, <laughs> whatever, little cafe you know, you're leaving and you're heading out from your loft and you got your, your stick. <laughs> These guys have much better weapons and guns. And you're, uh, it's, better, it's better, to even though it's modern, to go with the swords. And these, like, maniacs with swords and arrows are coming for you. And you, just, and you have to, like, just try to fight. And you know you're going to die. You know you're going to die. And then, oh, and then what if you're, like, one of the last ones to die and you just see them hacking heads off everybody? Un-fucking-believable. And, and incredibly, after all this, other cities afterwards still uh, fought back. Still were like, no, no, I, I, we know what you did to Nishapur, but mm-mm, uh-uh. We're going we're gonna to think that we can fight back too. And I just, and I just bring all this up, kind of uh, do this episode, like, like the bit I wrote earlier, just to point out that we have it better today, regardless of like in our current you know political landscape, if it's Hillary or or, or Trump, it's not going to be. It might be bad. Uh, my things might get worse, but they're not going to get Nisha poor worse. Like I feel like I can very confidently say that in my lifetime, no matter how long there is, there is not going to be. Uh, I am not going to see a pyramid of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of human heads. I'm not going to see a city just just raised in, in, in that manner. And I know that we've done more recent atrocities, you know, not to make light of like, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But again, I would rather have a, I would rather look up in the sky and see a bomb coming and be like, ah, shit. And then have, you know, I don't know, 10 seconds of panic and then just blast wave nuclear just incinerate me. You know, if I had to pick, I'd way rather have that than to look. You know, I'm in Santa Monica right now recording this. I would then to look down Santa Monica Boulevard and just see 10,000 motherfuckers on horses who I, 
are the like I know are the most ruthless people in existence. I've heard about them my entire life. Like w- riding boogeymen coming for me, like my fear of like clowns, it would be equivalent to like 10,000 clowns on horseback with swords, like evil, like Pennywise motherfucker, and just coming and they're just gonna, they're gonna cut the heads off my family. Huh. So, you know, next time you're like, man, I can't get this app to load. Or, goddamn, S- Skype keeps on, I don't know who's using Skype, FaceTime, you know, ow, oh, man, it's FaceTime, it's, uh, God, my. I call Comcast again. It's just like something's wrong with my signal. Fuck, I hate the shit, man. It's just life is so hard. No, it's not. Not nearly as much as it used to be. Okay. So top five takeaways. No matter how bad your job is, not as bad as having to gather a sack of ears. That's number one. Number two, no matter what tragedy you've experienced, at least it involves everyone you've ever loved or known having their heads cut off and stacked into pyramids in your home reduced to rubble, as I just explained. Number three, Genghis Khan is interesting. Uh, it's an interesting read. Uh, you know, it's interesting to read about him, but doesn't sound like a guy you would ever want to meet or even be related to. You know, he obviously loved his family, but, you know, if you're his son or daughter, you're expected to be part of this colossal bloodlust. That's your destiny. No thanks. Number four, uh, as I just said, life is infinitely, infinitely better today than it was in the 13th century. And uh, number five, careful around horses. If they can kill Genghis Khan, they can kill your ass as well. And after all that, thanks for listening to this Time Suck. It ran a little bit longer uh, than I would like. But uh, if you like it, do me a favor, man. Talk about it. Tell your friends. Rate it wherever you listen to it. So, you know, it takes a second to, to give it a little rating so others can see your rating and decide to listen to it as well. Uh, I really enjoy doing this. I want to do it for a long time. I'm into it. I hope you're into it. Uh, and, you know, and keep coming back. And if you want to reach me, you know, like with a question about one of the shows, maybe some uh, historical thing I, I got wrong something you thought I should have added, a question you have, man, don't hesitate. Uh, leave a comment on my Facebook page, Dan Cummins Comedy, Instagram, Dan Cummins Comedy, Twitter, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, you can just go to uh, dancummins.tv or, or timesuckpodcast.com to find links to all of that. Uh, or just email me directly, dan at dancummins.tv. And, uh, and, and the final thing, uh, you know, don't, don't aspire to go out there building any head pyramids, okay? It's old news. It's been done. And whatever you do, do not stop listening to Time Suck. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons? finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. 
So I canceled the tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.